0: I love it when you get to hear straight from the mouths of our missionaries, our heroes, what the Lord is doing. When you tithe to this church, uh, we made a change a few years back that we, didn't wanna, we don't want to give to missions, we want to be missions. And so we've dedicated ourselves to tithe from your tithe to our missionaries to help support and to further the gospel. So when you are faithful, uh, that helps enable us to be faithful to continue to give and to pour into our missionaries. If you have your Bibles, would you go to the book of Luke? We are starting a new series today. I love starting new series Um, I hate concluding series. I feel bummed. Monday morning, I I get bummed. I'm like, I can't believe we got a series done. And at the same time, I get excited because now we get to start something new. We finished our series on the holiness of God. We're going to go into a series that we're calling The Last Week. And we're going to focus for the next five uh, services, including Good Friday. Uh, We're talking about Easter now. We're talking about Good Friday. Uh, We're going to do the next five messages on The Last Week of Jesus' life. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Making you stand and sit down lots today. Luke 19, verse 29. And when he drew near to Bethanage and Bethany and the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those that were sent away went and found it, just as he has told them. And they were untying the colt. And its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks, cloaks? cloaks on the colt. I'll say it right. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their coats along the road. Drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives with the whole multitude of his disciples, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Lord, we bless your word today asking you that you would take your word, let it be like seed to fall upon good soil, that much fruit would be born from it. I pray that you would continue to encounter um, our hearts with and, and just sense openness from us, that what you would love to do, God, that we would welcome it with open arms. Not a single one of us want to walk away from this place the same way that we have walked in. Somehow, someway, change us, mold us, shape us. Make us more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, give someone an awkward high five before you're seated, please. I love preaching out of the Gospels. What are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four books of what we call the New Testament. So if you're new to church, the Bible is not necessarily split right in half, but in two sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then the New Testament starts off with, we know as the four Gospels. There are four Gospels, four written stories of one story. And if you add all four Gospels together, you've got a, we've got 89 chapters that are there. Now, if you really kind of get it to the nitty-gritty, Jesus Christ lived upon this Earth approximately 35, 33 and a half years. And of the 33 and a half years, out of those 89 chapters that tell his entire story, of the 89, only four of them talk about years zero through 30. Four chapters, which means that we have 85 chapters that tell the story of really Jesus' ministry, 85 chapters devoted devoted to his earthly ministry of three and a half years. Now, if we were to knock that down even more so, one-third of, of, of all of those chapters, one-third of the 89 are devoted to what we are going to preach about for the next five weeks. One-third of the Gospels are devoted to describing the week, the last week of Jesus' life on this earth, leading toward the crucifixion and the resurrection. In fact, the Gospel of John, which is my favorite gospel of all of the Gospels, I love John. John devotes half of his book to the last week of Jesus' life. And my prayer is, as we really look at What we call the passion of the Christ. The word passion really can signify two different things. Number one, the passion of the Christ. Some of you have seen uh, that movie. Uh, it, It signifies suffering. But passion also signifies passion. Because you have to know that Jesus loves us. And the Father loved us so much. That's where we get John 3:16. When you watch football, you see it in the end zone. For God so loved the world that he come on, say it with me, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Father loved us so much, he sent Christ. In fact, the scripture says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that even while we were yet sinners, get a hold of this. Even though we seemed to be unlovable, even though we were far from God, we were are dead in our sin that listen you don't have to love Jesus to know this that Jesus already loves you and while you were a sinner and while you were separated he still came for you Jesus didn't come just for the church people how many of you know without Jesus we wouldn't be church people he came for us he came for the lost Some of us think that we're super special or that I give a lot to the church so Jesus loves me more. Listen, if, if, if there's anything I've learned is Jesus doesn't love you more because you think you got religious clout. I've learned this from the gospels. Jesus is probably more frustrated with you. Jesus loves us, and we see the passion of the Father in sending the Son. And what my hope is for this series is that we would see the passionate response of God to us. And what that would do within us is we would give a passionate response toward God. That is my heart. Now, I want to give you, I think, what is a universal truth. And there's certain universal truths that are out there. Jesus is the only way. That's a universal truth. Michigan over Ohio State, that's a universal truth. I'm going to get myself in trouble with a few people. But there's a universal truth that just simply says, passion isn't a sensation, it's a decision. Now, it really got quiet there, because when we think about marriage, I've had people say, well, I don't feel it anymore. Do you know why you don't feel it anymore? Because you haven't decided to do anything about it anymore. And I think passion, it is... We have lived in this sensation-driven world that I don't do something unless I feel like it. I don't love my spouse unless I feel like it. I don't love my kids. I don't go to my job. I don't do this. I don't show up for church or I don't worship unless I feel like it. But I've learned something. is that usually everything, your passion will follow your decisions. And if you decide to be passionate toward your spouse, I promise you, passion will follow. And when we decide to get passionate for God, I promise the passion will follow. It's a heck of a thing to say on a morning where we've lost an hour of sleep. And we all say it, I'll go to bed an hour earlier. That's a lie from the pit of Hades right there. None of us go to bed an hour earlier. But passion isn't a sensation. And my heart is this series that we would get so deeply passionate for what God has done for us. Why? Because he is deeply passionate for every human being. I think of the words of the great hymn When I Survey the Wondrous Cross written in 1707. And it says this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and my poor attempt... All my, my, and pour my attempt on all my pride where the whole realm of nature mine that were in an offering far too small love so amazing and so divine demands my soul my life my all that last line that the love of god when i look at the christ it demands my soul it demands my life and it demands my all This is what brings us to what we know as the triumphal entry. This is what we read in in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. In fact, you can find all four Gospels covering this event, giving four different perspectives. And we get this awesome, awesome description of what took place. It says, when he drew near to a mount that's called Olivet." Now, if you know anything about geography in the ancient world, in Jerusalem, this mount is on the east side of Jerusalem. On this mount, this is where Jesus would have wept over Jerusalem. I've been to the Mount of Olives twice. It is such an astounding place to be and to look at the old city. So this is where Jesus is at. And he sends two disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, and when you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it here and bring it here. Now, what's kind of cool about this little moment is the details that Jesus knows. He's like, listen, here's where you're going to find this cult. Here's the condition of the cult. Here's what you need to say. Go and do it. Now, I want you to understand that when things are written in Scripture, things are never written by mistake. I believe that God has every word, every dot, every, every period, every question mark there for a reason. And the little, maybe the simplistic little comment that I have about this moment is that if Jesus knows the little details like this, I want you to understand, he knows the little details about your life. He knows the little details about what's going on. He knows the little details about the pain that you're dealing with. He knows the little details about the hurts that you've gone through. And the beauty is this, is even though he knows the details, he's already got a plan and a work that is already going on your behalf, ready to bring victory, healing, salvation into your life. He knows the details. He says, if anybody asks you, why are you on tying, that you shall say the Lord has need of it. Now, this is not permission to go into a brand new car lot and to walk up and grab some keys and say, the Lord has need of this car right here. It is never permission to take anything from your neighbors, from uh, a car lot or, or from the mall or any other place. Does anybody go to the mall anymore, by the way? Never permission just to say that. Now, I will say, I may have used this to my sister if she had something I wanted. The Lord hath need of this. I grew up in the King James. Cut me a little slack there. It says, so, so those who were sent away found it and told them, and they, as they were untying the colt, and the owner said, why are you untying our colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And then they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now, if you went to the Gospel of John, you would read that John gives a little more detail on it because what he brings up is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which was written hundreds of years before Christ walked this earth. I love the fact that one of the reasons why we know the Scripture is reliable is because of biblical prophecy. And when you look at the hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that were, that were founded in Jesus, that were realized, that came to fruition in Christ, you begin to realize this is more than just paper and ink that's put in our hands that we read about and we celebrate. This is something for which that we can learn about Christ, something which can be trustworthy. And so John writes, hundreds of years before, he writes, Listen, it was prophesied that Jesus would ride in an occult, and this is what brought that to fruition. Verse 36, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, all riding his way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works they had seen. What, in other words, these people had seen and heard about the reputation of Jesus. And in fact, if you research this enough, what had happened in the previous couple weeks of Jesus' life prior to his last week was what we call the anointing of Bethany. The raising of Lazarus. The healing of blind Bartimaeus. So Jesus is, there's this reputation that is lingering. These people are shouting over that. And they were saying in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And watching all of this were the irritated church people. We call them Pharisees. Saying, teacher, tell your people to shut up. They shouldn't get so excited. Their praise is a little loud for my taste. Get them to sing more of our songs. Get them to do things the way we want them to do. Tell them to act the way that we want them to act. And Jesus answers, I tell them, if they shut their mouth, the inanimate objects of creation would have to cry out. This is such a beautiful story. And it really identifies this idea that there is a war over our worship. There is a war over our worship. There are things that are trying to overcome your love for God. There are things in the background constantly saying, keep it quiet. Keep it to yourself. Keep it down. Keep it just in church. Keep it just in your home. Keep it just in your bedroom. Keep your relationship with God out of everybody else's way. There is a war about your worship. Because whether you realize it or not, your passion is going to go somewhere. Something's going to get your time. Something's going to get your money. Something's going to get your loyalty, your energy, your affections, your expression. Something is going to get that which is inside of you. It's going to be pointed towards something. Now I want you to say, because oftentimes I hear that the Lord just wants you to love him and him alone. And and there's a lot of truth to that, but then we're parsing. There's a lot of nuance and parsing that we got to do in those words. Because I want you to know that Jesus wants, wants you to know you can love things. It's okay to love things. I love ice cream. How many people love ice cream? The rest of you are lying because ice cream is phenomenal. I love my wife. How many of you think I should have probably said my wife before ice cream? <laughs> that would have been a good idea. I love my kids. This may shock you. I love football. Blew your mind away. There's a lot of loves out there. So God's not against us loving things, but the question that he constantly brings up to us is what you love, is that above or below me? Because that's what brings us to the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. The commandment says, I'll do it in the King James. Grew up in the King James. Thou shalt love no other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. And so the question is not about loving things. It's making sure that our passion lines up with the value that that we give God. Let me say it this way. The depth of our worship correlates to the value that we assign God. And if you want deeper value, you have to have a, a deeper uh, worship. You have to have the deeper value of God. Your passion for God has got to be number one, yes, above our spouse and above our kids and above everything else in life. Why? Because it's when we learn to love God, He teaches us how to love our spouse. He teaches us how to love our kids. He teaches us how to prioritize everything in our life. Because what, whatever we center our lives on is the thing that we worship. And whatever we worship becomes our obsession. And what you are obsessed with, you give your time, your energy, your passions, your money. And what you are obsessed with will shape your life. I love what Jack Hayford says. He says, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. Why is this so important? Because when I look at the crowd on that day, it's easy to pick on the Pharisees, but when I look at the crowd that day, I begin to realize the people that seem to worship God, I actually think had the wrong thing in their hearts on that day. Because there's a difference between I love Jesus and I love Jesus as long as he does things the way that I want him to do. There's a massive difference between the two. One is the true Jesus, the other is an idol. And what I see on that day is we see people waving palm branches and we celebrate it. I don't know if you grew up in church where you'd have all the kids come in and they would wave palm branches and then somebody dressed up, some dude like Jesus come down in a white robe and a purple or a blue sash. Why do we always peg Jesus with a purple or blue sash? I never fully understood that. But we wave the palm branches and we think that they were, they were really exalting Jesus as they welcomed them, him in. But if you really did a dig, a deep dive into history... You will recognize that 150 years prior to this day, Jerusalem was underneath a different type of dynasty. The Siloah dynasty was overtaking Israel, overtaking Jerusalem. And it was the Maccabees that led a Jewish revolt, a military revolt, to free the people from underneath their oppressors. And so when Judas, he was called Judas the Hammer. I mean, that's that's one heck of a, what do you call it, nickname, isn't that? Not a good one for a preacher. There's our pastor. He's the hammer. <laughs> no guest is going to show up on that day or ever. But Judas the hammer, that's his nickname, was rolling in on a, on, not a colt, rolling in on a horse with this parade and people raised up their palm trees, palm, palm trees, that would be a strong person, palm branches and begin to wave It's celebrating that they have been saved. Hosanna means save us. They were shouting and celebrating. So when Jesus is riding in, not on a horse, not on a steed, but on a colt, he is riding and people are shouting, Hosanna, save us. What were they linking Jesus to? Because right in that moment, they were underneath the power of a different dynasty, the dynasty of Rome. And what they wanted Jesus to do was to come in just like Judas did. Be the hammer. Come in with military. Come in with with politics. And rescue us the way we want you to rescue us. And all of a sudden, a few days later, we hear a different tune. Why? Because Jesus didn't do things the way they wanted them to do it. They were calling out, save us. Save us. But we know Jesus had a different plan and a different message. What was the message of Jesus? It came from a question asked, Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus, what's the best message? And how many of you know when Jesus says something is the best message, we ought to listen to the best message? Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You should love the Lord with your heart. Heart, soul, mind, and with your strength. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the most important? The most important thing that you can do, the message you can do, when we want to reorder our passions, we have to reorder it in such a way that we go after God with all of our heart, our soul, mind, and our strength. Because God is actively looking for worshipers. John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. Jesus says he's looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And I want to be a worshiper that worships Jesus in spirit and in truth. How do we get back to the truth? It's when we are worshiping the Lord with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is looking for worshipers. The word worship in the Greek language is proskino, which literally means kiss the hand. Now, when I was looking to my commentaries, now it means kiss the hand, or this is what I also said, also means a dog licking the hand of its master. Are you asking us to lick Jesus' hand? N- not necessarily, but it gives us a picture. Because at that, that, that age, it was very normal to walk into a king's throne room and to kiss the hand of royalty. But I actually like the other meaning about the dog licking the hand of the master. I mean, there's something beautiful about having a dog. Who has a dog in the house? Anybody have dogs? I'm so jealous. I want a bulldog so bad. I'd name him Buttkiss. It'd be the best dog ever. English Bulldogs are my favorite dogs. I love them so much. They're so ugly and wonderful. Um, my grandfather raised boxers. And so he had, he had these huge boxer dogs. I love boxers. And there's something wonderful about going over my grandpa's house is because as soon as you pull up you can already hear the deep barks. He had three boxers. You're going to hear the deep barks. And they would run up to the, the glass window. They didn't have a screen door. it's a glass door. And they would just sit there. They're pawing. And you know what a dog is saying? Oh, he came back. He came back. I, he left. I didn't think he was coming back. Well, look at him. He's coming back. We've got to get the door open. We've got to get him up. Does everybody know? Listen, I need to start shouting. I'm barking. Everybody, he's here. He showed up. I didn't think he'd come back. Get the door open. That's a dog. I have cats. We have Moses. He just turned one. And then last Sunday afternoon, pray for your pastor. We adopted a six-month-old kitten. His name is Boaz. We call him Moses and Bozes. When you come home, a dog, let me get the door open. Let's get the door open. A cat, get the door yourself. It's so true. Selfish animals, like the dog, like you walk it and he's jumping on, he's licking you. Some of y'all have invited me over your house, so I walk in to be the fullback for Ann because oh, Ann doesn't get knocked over. I walk in, and I'm just being licked. I got, you know, dog hair all over me. I'm just enjoying the moment, and, and Ann's like, just settle them down for me. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. Cat could care less. Now think about that excitement. He's looking for worshipers. And when you think about the the meaning of the Greek word lick the hand... It it almost sounds disgusting to think about the dog licking in the hand of the master. But when you see the pure excitement of that animal, when somebody shows up at the door, I think that should actually challenge our hearts. When we get together for worship, I pray that our worship isn't about just lowering our head and folding our hands and just looking down as if we're showing up to a mausoleum. We should show up ready to worship our butts off because the king of glory has come in. The scripture says, who is this king of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty. he is the king of glory. And so when we show up, we're going to worship the Lord. How do we worship the Lord? Let me give you three quick things. And that's a lie from the pit. It's not really quick, but we're going to try to go quick. How do we worship? How do we, how do we kiss the hand? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul. Those are the first two. What does it mean? Number one, God wants us to worship him with our affections. He wants us to worship with our affections. Because I love marriage ministry, I, I get lots of questions about marriage ministry. I get questions in the coffee shops. I get questions at the, the, the climbing gym. I get questions all the time. Hey, I heard you got a podcast. Or I heard you like writing about this. I get questions about things all the time. And I talk to people quite often about expressions of love. But what I, why, why I say that is quite often I also hear, well, my spouse knows I love them. Well, how do they know? They, just know, they know I love them deep down in my heart. They know I love them. But let me say this, love without expression, I don't think is love at all. Love without expression isn't love. God didn't just have feelings toward the world. John 3, 16 says, he loved the world so much that he gave, he acted out of that love. I mean, how many of you have ever gotten off a plane and you saw people waiting with balloons, with flowers and banners waiting for a loved one to come off the plane? How many, have, anybody ever see that coming off a plane? Okay, a few of you. It's a pretty cool thing. Um, how many of you wish that was you? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah. Never happened. One time, my first trip to Israel, we pulled back into the church parking lot, and Pastor, I think Pastor Marty picked us up, and so he opens up his door, so all the doors unlock, and I'm on my phone checking something, all of a sudden, my door ripped open. My wife came through, grabbed me almost, pulled me out, so excited that I came home. I'm like, this is how it's gonna be every time I come home from now on. Not really, but is there something about being welcomed in, in this expression and Then all of a sudden that person comes off the plane and everyone starts cheering. Everybody gets so excited. I want you to understand something. The reason why we like expressions is because you and I were made in the image of God. God likes expressions from us. He loves expressions from us. Psalms 150. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound, with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Oh, I can't stand tambourines. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Praise Him with the loud clashing cymbals. Praise, let everything that has breath praise The Lord. I love that word praise. It's the word hallel in the original language, which we get the word hallelujah. And it means this, to celebrate, to boast, to rave, or to be clamorously foolish. Well, pastor, I didn't grow up that way. That's not my Christian tradition. Well, excuse me. What I believe we ought to do When it comes to our worship of God, that we ought to celebrate. We ought to boast of God. We ought to rave and to be clamorously foolish. You see, in the fall on Saturdays, they call them fans. But for some reason, when church people, they call them fanatics. But I'm here to say we ought to be the type of people that recognize what God has done and just give whatever we've got to, to the God that deserves every bit of honor and glory. It was in John chapter 12 that a woman named Mary poured this anointing oil all over Jesus. Jesus, And it was Judas, one of Jesus' followers, that said, why did she do that? She could have sold that to the poor. How did Judas, how did people get to the place where they want the church to be silent? It's because I believe we have forgotten what God has done for us. Because if some of us could remember where we were without Jesus, we wouldn't shut our mouths. If some of us could remember what Jesus has done for our lives, we wouldn't stay silent. We would dance. We would clap. We would lift up our hands. We would get on our knees. We would do something. We would stop being so quiet. I read this. I read about this sign. Outside of Cherry Point, North Carolina, there is a military base at Cherry Point, North Carolina that has, it's a very similar to how I grew up on the east side because we had a place called Selfridge Air Force Base. And if you live anywhere close to it, when something lands or something takes off, you know. And so what they did is they put up this sign out on their road going into their city that just simply says this, pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom. I'm here to say If you're a new person here, or if you did not grow up in a loud tradition, I'm here to say, pardon our noise at K-First. It's the sound of our freedom. It's the sound of our deliverance. So when we shout and when we sing, when we amen, when we clap our hands, sometimes when we just cry out to God, it's not the sound of a fanatic. It's not the sound of a lunatic. This is the sound of what freedom really feels like. This is the sound of what Jesus has done in my life. And I don't want to be quiet about it. I've been set free. God has helped me. He's delivered me. It's time that the church stops sitting on their hands and closing their mouths. Let's be let's be exuberant with what God has done in our life, man. On on Saturday, April the third, see me April the fourth, two thousand nine. I was getting my haircut. I went really high end. I went to Bowricks, and my wife said, "You're starting as the new pastor tomorrow at okay, K First. You need a professional haircut." And normally I just shave my head every Sunday, every Saturday, and she's, so I went and got the professional to do it, and she's cutting my hair, and she goes, so what, you have anything fun going on this weekend? I feel like everyone that cuts my hair asks me the same thing. I said, in fact, I'm starting a new job. She goes, you're starting a new job where? I said, I'm the new pastor of Kalamazoo First Assembly. She goes, oh. She goes, that's the angry church. I'm like, we need to have a talk. What did I sign up for? (laughs) What did I get hired into? But she had gone through some hurt. She had gone through some pain. And I remember one of my hearts was that God would begin to change the reputation of our church. And I remember two years later, because I walk around before um, church starts. For those of you that are on time, I walk around before church. (laughs) (laughs) And I greet people. And right over here, I met this gentleman and he, and he just he said, "Hey, my name is so and so." I'm like, "It's good to meet you." My name's Dave. I didn't tell him I'm the pastor. I don't wear my sandwich board sign that says Turner Burn or anything like that. So I just we're just talking. And I said, "Oh, well, I brought you here." He says, "My pastor told me to t- told me to go to this church." I'm like, "Oh, what did that pastor send my way?" And he goes, "I'm like, well, what do you mean your pastor told you to told you to come here for?" And he says, "I've got such." Such deep hurt in my life. My pastor said, you'll never find healing at our church. Our church our church is broken. He says, but I hear if you go to cave first that you'll find healing. My friends, this is the sound of our freedom. This is the reputation we have to continue to build. We can't bear to have the reputation of what humanity is, but we have to, reputa- to be the reputation of what Jesus is. Don't be hardened by the people who want to quench your passion for Jesus. Do not be hardened or turned away by, friends, that's not the voice of God. The voice of God that says, settle down, you're too loud about Jesus. That's not the voice of the Spirit of God. Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That leads me toward number two. Worship team, you're going to have to help me shut up. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and our mind. What does that mind mean? The Lord wants us to worship with our attention. With our attention. Give God your mind. Give God your attention. Give him your mind. Give him your attention. Listen. Spouses. Let me say this. Your husband or your wife doesn't want your money. Doesn't want your trips. Doesn't necessarily want your house. Pastor, no, no, I want those things. <laughs> There's going to come a point you're going to realize those things just don't last. Do you know what your spouse needs more than anything? They need your time, your attention, to be fully present with them. Your kids, they don't need another game system. And I'm not anti gaming, I love gaming. Your kids don't need another thing in their schedule, another team to play for. They need your attention. They need your, your presence. They need your time. God wants your attention. He wants to be on your mind and in your mind. And maybe the next step is God wants to be in your schedule. Well, I do every Sunday morning. 10.30 sharp. Some of y'all will get that. You're a little slow. (laughs) Romans chapter 12. And the message says, take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Give God your everything. Your focus, your attention, your everyday, ordinary life, and point it into the direction of the Most High. And give it to Him. Your private life, your public life, your internet life, your social media life, dear Lord, some of you need to let Jesus in your social media life. Your traffic life. Your sleeping life, your dreaming life. And lastly, Love the Lord, your love your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. I spent a lot on that first point, but I think that's the Lord, the Lord gave me that direction. It's the last year's strength. Where does that mean? That God wants us to worship him with our abilities. He wants you to worship him with your abilities. I love my wife immensely, and I know she knows that I love her. Why? Because she just doesn't want to hear it from me. She wants to see it. It means sometimes you've got to show up. And God wants us to worship Him with the abilities. Hebrews chapter 13 says this Through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice to praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Look at this. To continually offer up is to continually give God our abilities. How? To do good and to share what you have, because that is a worship that pleases God. God wants us to worship him with our abilities. That means we step up and we do things that show God, God, you know my heart. But you need to see it in my life. I'll give you a few things. Baptism. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands on who has, who has not been baptized. But if you have not been baptized, I want to do a baptism just after Easter. Who needs to get baptized? Anyone that's never taken what I think is the first most essential step to your faith. And you are publicly publicly declaring, Jesus has everything. And if you've got the ability, we're going to bring you up and we're going to dunk you in front of everybody. We do not hold you underneath the water, but you go down and you come right back up, symbolizing the old life is gone. The new life has come. That's part of our abilities. And from there, we begin to do things like serve. We give of our time. We greet at the doors. We help out with kids or nursery. We help out with youth. We get involved in tech or we get involved on this stage. God wants your abilities. What about here, let's go after this one. How about tithing? Nobody amends that ever. Giving. Well, Pastor, that's, that's a big step, giving 10%. I would never ask anybody to give anything that I don't give myself. I believe it's where we start. And maybe you've never given before. Maybe I'm here to challenge you. Would you take a step of faith? Because somebody really like, can can I can I just Give of some time and not give of anything else. When you give, the goal is, when you give, not only do we keep track of every single cent that comes into this place, but we make sure that we keep track of every single cent that goes out from this place. Because the goal is not to create a storehouse, but we want to be a funnel so that ministry continues to flow in and out of this church. But it needs your giving. It needs your serving. It needs your attending. And when we do, we are living in obedience to God. And every act of obedience is always an intentional act of worship every time we walk in obedience it's an intentional act of worship he's calling us in day one, so to speak of, our, of this last week he's calling us to be worshipers he's calling us to be celebrators he's calling us to be a people that give him absolutely everything that we have why? Because when it came to us being dead in our sin, he did not hold back. He did not give second best. He didn't give us leftovers. He gave everything for us. And if Jesus gave everything for us, how dare we give him any less than what we have? Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your love and your compassion. I thank you, Lord, that you give us mornings like today that sometimes just have to rekindle the wonder of what we were saved out of and what we were saved into.